This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Well, we're very, very lucky again to have uh, one of our uh, great interviewers, Terry McCran, who is uh, with us at the moment. And Terry McCran, of course, he reaches a bigger audience than any other columnist through the Daily and Sunday Telegraphs, the Australian newspaper. And in Melbourne, of course, the Herald Sun and Sunday Herald Sun. He has, over a quarter of a century, written daily commentary on business, the economy, politics, great events, personalities, things that have shaped our nation. He's a former Graham Perkins Journalist of the Year, Financial Journalist of the Year, winner of the Melbourne Press Club's Golden Quill Award and winning the prestigious Wakely Award. And Terry, who's going to win the football at the weekend? <laughs> Good afternoon, Barry. That's a that's a tough question. It's going to be a great game, a great Australian rules game, of course, down here in Melbourne. Uh, I think probably Geelong. They're the team that's the classier team. They've got the stronger team, and um, uh, but it's going to be a very great game to watch. Your who do you follow normally? Well, I'm normally I'm an Essendon man. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I probably my heart goes out to Geelong because Geelong is coached, of course, by Bomber Thompson, and he's called Bomber Thompson because he used to play for the Bombers Essendon. So, oh, fantastic! Um, I think we, you know, we sort of claim indirectly that it's an Essendon victory rather than just a Geelong victory. Ah, uh, fair enough. Well, we're still heading towards the finals. We haven't that's got right. the grand final yet. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens at the weekend. Anyway, look, let's go, uh, Terry. It appears that things have turned around, of course, but there's one sub, or there are many subjects on our minds, but one in particular, interest rates. Now, commentators, analysts' views seem to be pointing to an increase coming. What are your thoughts here? Well, you're right, Barry. Um, I mean, this is part of the dynamics of interest rates coming down to offset the, the slowdown in the economy. And as the economy picks up, interest rates go up because you can't have that free lunch lasting forever on low interest rates. And I have to say two things about it, though, that I think we're better starting from where we are than they will be having to start from the rest of the world, which where their interest rates are even lower than our rates. Therefore, their pain will be greater when they rise. And secondly, the Reserve Bank's not in a great hurry to, to raise. So your listeners shouldn't think that this is going to happen this month. It's certainly not going to happen this month or indeed next month. And the Reserve Bank is going to be very careful about putting up interest rates because it doesn't want to bring the economy back to a shuddering halt. It doesn't want to hurt people. It wants to be moderate in the increases and it wants to do them sensibly. So those two things are very important to bear in mind, Barry. Interesting, Terry, uh, looking at some graphs the other day, uh, one that I read, and this might shock a few people, but the average rate of interest over the last 38 years has been 9.8%. That's on a home loan. Mm-hmm, yes. Now, yet we're at a 40-year low of 3%, and interest rates, uh, if they rise, say, even to around about 6 or 7%, uh, this would be a very challenging thing, would it not? Well, the, the important point to bear in mind about all that history, Barry, is that this come, that covers a time when we had much higher inflation for most of that time. So if inflation is 5 6 7%, the interest rate is going to be higher than that simply as a matter of reality because otherwise the, the, the inflation will be exceeding the interest rate. So that we, you, would not, you would expect that we would not go back to those sorts of levels. And if you look back over the last two years when interest rates were, were, were higher before they were cut, they were higher at a much lower level than that 9% figure that you quoted. Mm-hmm. So the, the, we won't go back to that. I hope we don't go back to that. 
Um, and the other important element in all this, which is getting a bit complex, is the value of the dollar, because the reality of us putting up our interest rates when the rest of the world are still much lower will mean that people will be encouraged to pour money into Australia to grab those higher interest rates, and that will force up the value of the dollar, which is already looking like it's going to go past 90 cents mm. against the US dollar, and that obviously can be damaging to exporters. Very much damaging to export, but the people that travel overseas are smiling, but unfortunately oh, the ones see. that travel overseas don't bring the money into the country to a certain extent. Exactly right. <laughs> Terry, now, um, uh, when lenders, how do lenders get their funds? Let's say banks, uh, they borrow from the public at lower rates, but... They're increasing. Uh, they either borrow on the wholesale markets, and I'd like you to explain that, and also they can borrow from overseas. Now, exactly right. It's become quite complex, Barry. In the old days, the primary people that provided the money to banks, which then lent money to us, was us. Us, yes. You know, putting our, putting our, putting our hard-earned in the bank uh, week to week and our regular savings. And we, we did that because in the old days, you had to do that to build up a relationship with the bank and a, and a track record of saving before they would give you money to uh, to buy a house. Now, that's all been lost, I think, to some extent for the positive, to some extent for the negative. Uh, and it means also that because we're not saving as much as we, we did, as our parents did and our grandparents did, that uh, the banks have to source their money from other people. And as you say, one of those sources is the wholesale market. All that means is the big investment houses, the AMPs, the, um, you know, the, those, the, those big fund managers that are moving not just uh, thousands of dollars around but millions of dollars around. A lot of their money comes from, from those people now. And the third one, as you indicated, is overseas. And that comes in a number of ways uh, from overseas. The, the different forms of raising money overseas is quite a variety of ways the banks do that. But it does mean that it puts them and us at some risk that if those people lose confidence in Australia or all the Australian banks, they will take the money out. And I was reading recently, I think it was NAB that raised about 600 million US at approximately 8%, I thought I saw. I, I, I remember the amount, but I can't quote, I don't remember the figure. I mm. doubt it was 8%. Yeah. Uh, that's, that sounds too high. It does, because they're pretty good solid. Uh, the Australian banks are, c- are considered very solid in world markets, I believe. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, this is happening all the time. I mean, it gets in another area, Barry, which gets even more complicated, which <laughs> is the impact of the government guaranteeing bank deposits. Uh, not only for bank deposits from people like me and you and your listeners, but but bank deposits from from from, from people who are investing from foreign sources. So uh, the banks have been have been using that guarantee to raise an awful lot of money over the last last six months, and uh, that's provided uh, you know the positive side of that is that they've been they've had a lot of money to lend. Interesting. Now we've seen the government uh, with the first homeowners grant. Uh, look, I'm going to say this. Maybe they could be contributing to real future problems down the track. I mean, borrowers not having the experience of saving that deposit, but now needing the discipline to meet the repayments and possibly with some big increases down the track. Could this be a challenge that we may have to face? I think you're exactly right, Barry. Let's not forget that this whole mess that the world got into over the last few years was sourced in something akin to exactly that. These, those sort of home loans in America to people that had not had a good savings record and really 
couldn't service and couldn't support the money that they borrowed you know, with the good intention of buying a house. That was the source of all this problem. Now, we've, on a much, much more smaller level, of course, in Australia, we've, we've embarked on a similar sort of process with encouraging all these people to go out and buy homes, uh, which we're, we're 30,000, maybe, of the, the deposit comes from the government and uh, the rest is borrowed. So they don't have a savings record. They don't have an understanding about the impact of servicing that loan, paying the regular payments, the interest and the, and the principal back. And um, if we do run into economic problems down the track, again, as we probably will at some point, people lose their jobs, they won't be able to service those loans. And so uh, I don't think it's a problem as in, you know, it's a huge problem potentially going forward, but it's certainly one that could hurt people Hmm. Uh, in future years. And when you mentioned that the money coming from the government, of course, that's us, the taxpayer, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. India, China, two-thirds of the world's population. I don't see much where they move, increase, decrease their interest rates in similar ways to the, that we do, either to stimulate or cool their economies. Do you ever see this much in the world? There's a bit of that going on, Barry, but you're right broadly that it's not quite as significant as it is in Australia or in uh, the United States they are still doing what we used to do, which is to actually direct banks who they can lend money to, how much they can lend, uh, and so on. So there's much more government and uh, central bank control over what banks do with the money. And uh, that's, I think, I, 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 I'm sort of hearing many of your listeners saying, well, why don't we do that as well? That would be would lead to more direct uh, outcomes. And I think that my answer to that would be, I don't really want governments and, uh, and public <laughs> servants to, to have that sort of control. That was that worked maybe 30, 40 years ago in Australia, but going forward, I don't think it's I don't think it's really where we want to be. And in in your comment where you said that the the uh, the government used to direct the banks to do certain things, they didn't do a very good job of it in the states, did they? No, well, indeed, exactly. <laughs> okay, Terry, we're going to have a little bit of a break. We're talking to Terry McCran, uh, one of Australia's uh, best-known columnists and uh, financial commentators. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you some questions on things that I don't understand. And this is to do with the emission trading scheme or the, collu- the carbon pollution <laughs> reduction scheme. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm hoping that you can put me right on some of these things because I'm getting happy a lot to, of questions. Happy to try, <laughs> Okay. Terry McCran, who is one of Australia's best-known columnists, a business commentator and financial analyst. Now, Terry, these mysterious emissions trading scheme, the ETS, and the Carbon Pollution Reduction Scheme, I'm getting a number of questions from people when they phone up to talk about finance. Uh, how's it going to affect them? There's a lot of debate. Many questions have been posed. I've read a lot about it in the paper. And guess what? I still don't understand it. Terry, what is the emissions trading scheme? Is this a major factor in the... I think the easiest way to understand it, Barry, is it's a huge new tax. Eh? It's a huge new tax. It will increase the price. It's a tax on everything. It's exactly like the GST, and it starts off, it's intended to start off, being about the same as increasing the GST by a quarter. It's a, and, a quarter? I mean, you, you mean about 2%, 2.5%? 2.5%, exactly. Your listeners know the GST is 10% on everything. This, in effect, would push it up to 12.5% uh, under the guise of saving the barrier reef, under the guise of saving the planet from this dreadful thing we call carbon, uh, which the government calls carbon, which, in fact, is carbon dioxide, the gas, not the little bits of black stuff that... Uh, 
that you think might float out of those chimneys. And um, uh, I think that's, I mean, the two things that trouble me about this, Barry, in, you know, beyond all the debate about global warming, beyond all the debate about those sorts of issues, the two things that trouble me is that the government is building this entirely on a deliberate lie. It talks about the carbon pollution that it has to reduce. Uh, and I think that's designed deliberately to make people think of that dreadful stuff come belching out of chimneys, you know, the, the dark mm. satanic mills of, of the 19th century, when it's, not nothing, it's got nothing to do with that. It's, I mean, we already, we already solved that sort of pollution or, or certainly reduce it in, in terms of the normal anti-pollution measures we take. This is purely and totally about the gas, the carbon dioxide that we all breathe. Mm -hmm. And secondly, this, 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 the, the fact that you reacted spontaneously when I said it's a tax, this deliberate misconception that it's, it's got nothing to, it's not actually a tax, it's not actually going to cost people anything. It's, it's purely a matter of, uh, trading these um, permits, so-called. Yeah. When in fact, at the end of the day, it is a tax on everything that we will do in this country going forward. Okay, now, uh, if the reduction in carbon is the major factor that I thought, then this is what I can't understand. If they say, a, oh, say a power producer, a power station, they're allowed to buy carbon trading credits, then, for goodness sake, if they're allowed to buy carbon trading credits... Where's the reduction in the carbon? The, the, in two, the, the intention is in two ways, Barry. That, that the government says we will, uh, we will allow Australia to produce so much carbon dioxide in the following 12 months and you have to bid to get, those, to get your slice of that allowance. So that, uh, and, and, and if you can't get your permits, you have to close down, essentially, and you won't be able to produce. And, and the intention is that you will gradually reduce each year the amount of carbon dioxide that's allowed to be produced so that, A, it will become more expensive to buy those permits, there'll be fewer of them to go around, and that will encourage, quote-unquote, uh, power stations and electricity companies to buy their power from non-carbon sources like wind and solar and gradually, progressively, reduce the amount of power that's produced from those coal-fired power stations with the object, if, if this was to continue for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that you would just simply no longer be buying power and producing power from coal-fired power stations and uh, we'll, we'll be getting supported from all this wonderful, clean alternatives. But uh, I recently read that permits can be bought from overseas and that these permits seem to be created from thin air, I believe. Is there you're, another... You're, you're really honing in on some of the big problems with it, Barry, that, yes, what I described was theoretically what, what, what could happen and that the, you know, in 20 years' time or 40 years' time uh, we, would, we would be emitting less carbon dioxide. Uh, but as you say, you, under the scheme, you can buy these permits from international sources which means that in 20 years' time we mightn't be producing our carbon pollution, quote-unquote, at all. But if, these, if we're the only ones in the world going to do this and people are overseas sitting at a printing press printing out permits, <laughs> we're sending our money overseas... Exactly, you're that exactly don't, right. I mean, ...that are not it, controlled by this. I, it, I, beca with... it becomes an even more, a more grotesque nonsense that not only do we not cut our own carbon dioxide output, but we are sending money overseas, and we uh, this is already happening to some extent, not, not in a, from Australia, but um, 
in the in the in the sort of subsidiary issue of uh, carbon offsets that are, that are, that are current that you know that you can buy now. I mean, when when you get on a plane to travel somewhere, there's a little box saying do you want to uh, offset your carbon output from this trip by paying four dollars or whatever it is, and that four dollars will actually be given to some cases to plant a tree somewhere or to actually buy yeah. these sorts of permits. Right. But you're exactly right. People could be printing these, and they're already doing that. There's a scandal in relation to PNG, Papua New Guinea, where they've been selling these sorts of permits, and they are non-ex- they're non-existent in terms of actually uh, doing the hard yards of uh, planting trees or, or of setting the carbon in some way. And um, it, leads to, it leads to the ultimate absurdity, Barry, that we would we we would be sending money overseas into the tune of billions of dollars to be allowed to keep our power stations open. I mean, it's just it's, it it defies all common sense, and it, it, I, I find it staggering that a, that an Australian government could actually go down this path. Now, um, other countries. Let's pick. I'm going to pick on three: China, India, USA. Two of them, China and India, are considered to be developing countries. That's right. Wouldn't they, under these schemes that I hear, be allowed not to be as uh, critical or as uh, defined as what? Well? Do anything. You're exactly right. And I mean, the United States mm-hmm. is talking about doing something similar to us. It's unlikely to actually do it um, anytime soon. Uh, and China and India, uh, there's no way they're going to go down this path. Although, again, they will talk about committing to to doing something along these lines without any sanction or without any uh, absolute commitment to do so. So you would have this ludicrous situation, as you indicate, that we're, we're pretty much the only country in the world going down this path um, and actually imposing the, the, this very real tax on everybody, on the one hand, and secondly, uh, engaging in this fantasy of uh, trading these pieces of paper. I would be happy if we did this and then with the money that we got went out and planted all the trees. <laughs> that, that'd be okay because it would stay in Australia. That's, I, well, I, I, we might get overrun with trees. I think but, we can plant the trees anyway, Barry. Yeah, but... Uh, no, no, look, I'd prefer to plant trees than build windmills, frankly. That's, uh, okay. The up-and-coming meeting in Copenhagen, and, and when I... We, this is finance talkback. There's going to be a huge, huge effect on finance in Australia in this scheme, in my opinion. Well, that's another point that, uh, if we can digress slightly, which has been highlighted by some, uh, some commentators, that we've just been through this global financial meltdown as a consequence of all these exotic financial instruments that people trade, you know, you can all sorts of names, CDOs, CFCs and all sorts of things, mm-hmm. uh, which all imploded, which are, which are bits of paper that people were trading on stock exchanges and around the world. And what this will do will create a whole new lot of these exotic instruments which people will trade and can, and can corner the market on and can short sell and can do all sorts of exotic things. Uh, and you, you, what you, apart from anything else, you're probably creating the next financial bubble uh, by allowing these things to be to happen. And, and it would get worse if other countries joined in. Look, uh, yeah. Whilst on this, the uh, carbon project, the huge Gorgon gas project off the uh, West Australian coast, uh, will they have to prepare for these uh, carbon permits also? Or not? Very good question, Barry. The, the natural gas is considered to be a cleaner, quote-unquote, source of energy than, than coal because it doesn't, when you burn it, it doesn't apparently emit as much carbon dioxide. 
What the Gorgon project is proposing to do is to, in complicated technical processes, to take a lot of the carbon dioxide out of the gas before it's shipped off to Japan and China and other places and, and then pump that gas back into where they've just taken, pump the carbon dioxide back mm. where they've just taken out the natural gas mm. uh, and by that way be cleaner, quote-unquote, uh, than than if they just allowed the gas to be burnt off in due course. So then we probably should be building a big gas pipeline from the West Australian coast down to the cities of uh, East Coast and wherever the capital cities in Australia, so we can get the gas cheaper, or is that silly? Well, well, probably not, Barry, because we've got a lot of what's called coal seam gas. Yes. Uh, available through northern through New South Wales and into Queensland. Yes. Uh, although yet to be seen whether that's it's technically feasible. Uh, to do and financially feasible to do that on the sort of scale that um, that we're talking about. Terry, we're just going to have a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, look at this another thing: the NBN. Now, that's not the NBN <laughs> television. That's not NBN television like in Newcastle. These, they like throwing these initials at us, don't they? NBN. That's our television station in Newcastle. <laughs> be, be back in a sec. The Telstra NBN, uh, what's really going on here? I believe this project, uh, the pressure that may arise for Telstra, they're looking at. Sp- not actually tell them to do it, but they're making it difficult for them. They've got to split, I believe, into retail and wholesale. What's this all about? Uh, very good question, Barry. The, this is part of this ongoing dance around how we deliver the telecommunications of the future, which uh, it really has to try and achieve two things, giving us the best possible uh, network and structure for telecommunications and, and especially broadband for internet access and for... Uh, all sorts of uh, television that can come down your come down your television your, your telephone wire rather than uh, in the normal way. Uh, on the one hand, and secondly, to provide a structure where you get competition, so that hopefully you get lower prices and better services. Um, and I think most of your listeners would probably have a love hate attitude to Telstra that on the one hand they think it's been great to build all this infrastructure. And to guarantee basic telephone services over the over the, the decades, but on the other hand, they probably feel they don't get the best service from it. If something goes wrong, it takes it takes a long time to get things sorted out, and that coverage in certain areas is bad. And what the government is proposing is, as you say, to force Telstra to break into two, on the one hand, and secondly, to have for the government to lead this building of this forty-three billion dollar basic. National broadband network, which will replace the existing infrastructure which we, by which we get our telephone services today. Mm. One question that I have not been able to see, I've not been able to get an answer for. Uh, maybe I've missed it because I read a lot of things. The fibre is going to go past Terry McCrown's house and the ones next door and so forth, so they're going to dig up all the footpaths and so forth, I assume. One question I can't find out, how much is it going to cost from outside to my house connection a month? Good question, Barry. The, the, the fibre is not just going to go, in, in, supposedly, it's not just going to go past our houses, but actually be connected to our house whether you want it or not. That's hey? sort of like a compulsory uh, uh, exercise where I come along and, uh, and connect it to 90% of the houses and, and offices in the country. And the, the, the other 10% is the ones that it really is just too impractical to do so. Hmm. And you'll have that connected. And you won't... Pay, you won't purportedly pay anything up to that point so you could just sit there on the on your house as a, like a plug on the wall uh and do nothing 
But if you connect up to it, then you'll be paying maybe a hundred dollars a month, maybe two hundred dollars a month, uh, depending on uh, how this all pans out. They're going to—I can see this—they're going to dig up my aspradispa or my gardenia or something. Understands this, Barry? That it's this is a huge exercise of of, of uh, compulsory, if you like, uh, digging up your front lawn. Do we really know what we're doing? Don't answer that question, Terry. <laughs> Next question. Is Australia's economy really as good as it gets? Look, I, I'm really excited about this. I feel good. Is Australian economy as good as we are told it is? Well, we've seen the biggest financial challenge in possibly 100 years. Trillions have been wiped off countries, economies, etc. And uh, when you look, I just mentioned in a moment ago, a billion dollars in a billion seconds is 27 years. So a trillion is 27,000 years in seconds. How's that? <laughs> well, that's getting it into your mind, isn't it? That's now. Yes, I think when we look back over the last 12 months, uh, the, I don't think we quite appreciate how bad it's been in the United States, in Europe, in Japan, in the, in the United Kingdom, and therefore how much better it's been in Australia. And I, I, I'd, I'd give the credit to that to three things. One, the government stimulus package, all those checks in the mail. Now, we may have to pay a bill for that going forward when the, the government sends you a check, as you, as you know... It's actually your money going around in a circle, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's. But it certainly kept spending going, or helped to keep spending going. The other was the Reserve Bank slashing interest rates as quickly as it did. That left a lot of money in people's pockets on mm-hmm. reduction in their home repayments. And third, and most importantly, and this really gets to the nub of your question: it's China. It's this extraordinary boom that's taking place in China, which is so particularly beneficial to us, and I'm sure everybody in the hunter. Are, appreciates that. Uh, yes. At the moment, we're seeing it in terms of coal exports. Going forward, we might see more of it in terms of exports of, of uh, Hunter Valley wine. So all of that, Ooh. you know, the, the better that China performs, the better it's going to be, not just for our coal exporters and our natural resource exporters, but I think for all the other stuff that uh, we make in Australia as well. This is a funny question, but many years ago in the rich and I think it was the Richard Nixon era, the USA dollar, I believe, was backed by gold. In other words, if a dollar was issued, it had to have the gold. And I think it might have been Fort Knox or wherever it was. Exactly right. And it was at US dollars an ounce, $35, I think it was. That's right. Because they couldn't keep up the gold supply, they came to another thing. I'm not sure it was an SDL or something like that where they said SDR, statutory reserve deposit. Yeah, that's right. Now, it's gotten out of hand, has it not? Uh, Printing well, money? Yes, you're exactly right. And I think, you know, this, where, where this is all going to play out over 10, 20, 40 years, it's impossible to say. Uh, but certainly, the, the, and that's why, of course, the gold price has gone over $1,000. That's $1,000 US, yes. which is about $1,100, $1,150 Australia, because people recognise that uh, all this paper money floating around is not something that you can have confidence in going forward or is not the greatest confidence. And so the idea of hoarding some gold or investing in gold uh, is, is, is a very attractive uh, alternative to, to some people. Now, having said that, I read something recently where this could be purely imagination, where people are looking at trying to develop a new currency backed by commodities. Have you read anything on this? Uh, well, this is... Uh, I, I haven't read specifically what you're talking about, Barry, but this is an idea that is continually pr- promoted, and it's continually promoted for two reasons. The reason that I've, we've just been talking about, the, all this paper money floating around, but secondly, concern about the U.S. in particular, that uh, because uh, we've... W- when the U.S. stopped uh, 
tying its uh, dollars to gold, you, you're able to pump out so many more dollars, and that raises and it's been ex- 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 accelerated in the last 12 months. That raises concerns about let's have an alternative to the US dollar as the central means of exchange, the central valuation mechanism in the world economy. I mean, we all talk about the oil pricing dollars, we talk about the gold pricing dollars, we talk about everything in terms of dollars. So it would make more sense, arguably, to have it linked to, to something real, like a basket of commodities, rather than uh, this strange thing called the US dollar. Terry, last question. It's funny, I read some, I looked somewhere the other day where if you owed a person $100 million, okay, that's okay, you've got the debt you've got to worry about. But when you owe things like trillions of dollars and the person who's lent the money to you, that's their worry. Is that right? Well, exactly right. I mean, this is, and again, it's a very interesting issue that the, the China has, has, has got exactly that in America. It's got over a trillion dollars invested in the US economy. In mm. And mm. that's a bigger problem for China than it is for America. It is. Terry, we've covered a lot today. Uh, thank you very Always much. great talking to you, Barry. Lovely. And look, thank you very much on behalf of uh, everybody, listeners of 2NURFM 103.7 in the beautiful Hunter Valley, the wine country, as you call it. And we do look forward to having you back and uh, picking your brain on some of the other questions that uh, concern us a lot. Keep safe. All the best. Thanks, Barry. All the best to you and your listeners.